Hey guys, today is another history episode, so I wanted to use the cold open to set things up a little bit for you, because I know the one thing you tuned into this podcast for, historical context, baby. You're welcome. And let's face it, two minutes of correct historical information is more than you get in, say, every Joe Rogan podcast ever. So again, you're welcome. My guest today is MLB.com reporter and author of the long-form piece, Fernando Mania Still Resonates Decades Later, Jesse Sanchez. And we're going to be talking about Fernando Valenzuela and the phenomenon known as Fernando Mania that hit in 1981. Fernando was the ace of the Los Angeles Dodgers that year, and they began the season expecting him to be just another guy. LA's opening starter that year was supposed to be a guy named Jerry Royce, but he got hurt, and at the last minute they said, yeah, Fernando, why don't you try it? And he pitched a complete game shutout. And then it was on. Like, shutout after shutout after shutout. In the first couple months of 1981, Fernando pitched five shutouts, eight straight wins, seven complete games, 0.50 ERA. So it became a national sensation because here was this out-of-nowhere Mexican star for one of baseball's glamour teams, pitching them to the top. And people didn't know what to make of it. He starred in commercials. There were random women running on the field giving him kisses because that was allowed back then. It was insane. Like, an incredible year. And it ended with him winning Game 3 of that year's World Series, which started the Dodgers' comeback from two games to none down against the Yankees and eventually helped them win the World Championship. So this is what we're talking about over the next 30 minutes. And I really want you to listen Not just to what Jesse says, but the tone of his voice, because as soon as I get him talking about Fernando, you can tell this is his guy. And he just adores talking about what Fernando did, what he meant to him as a fan, and also to the entire Mexican-American community. It's really going to be a great listen. I know you're going to enjoy it. There's a few little Zoom glitches at the start, but bear with us. Those disappear after about five or six minutes. And then the rest of the interview is going to be great. Hope you enjoy it. This is, of course, Three Strikes You're Out, the Outsports Baseball Podcast. My name is Ken Schultz. Episode number 79, the Jose Abreu episode of Three Strikes You're Out. Hit the twip music. Let's start Fernando Mania, baby. Joined today by MLB.com reporter and author of the excellent long-form piece, Fernando Mania Still Resonates Decades Later, Jesse Sanchez is here. Jesse, thank you for being here. Good, sir. Hey, Ken. Hey, thanks for having me. It was a, uh, it was a real pleasure to uh, be a part of that uh, story, to tell the story along with my teammates, uh, Natalie, Natalie Alonso and uh, David Ben, who also pitched in. So it was definitely a team effort, and we all really enjoyed putting that together. It is truly an excellent and epic read for what really a moment that deserves an epic read, honestly, Fernando's 1981 season. And I'll be putting a link to it uh, both in the Twitter plug for this show and in the show bio as well for anyone who wants to go check it out. It is definitely well worth the time you'll spend on it. And I guess we'll start by saying uh, it's been 40 years, of course, since the year of Fernando Mania. So to kind of acquaint baseball fans of today with how that was on a scale of Shohei to DeGrom, how big a sensation was Fernando? I don't know. I mean, he's right up there with Shohei and DeGrom. I mean, I'm, I don't know what's the scale you put. I don't know if you put Shohei atop of DeGrom or DeGrom on top of Shohei, but 
Fernando's right there with him. I mean, it was it was bananas. It was just a it was a phenomenon. It was just a crazy period in in history of the country. It was a crazy period in baseball. We can get into that a little bit more, but but uh, it was one of those fascinating highest sport Latino fan to a pleasure to revisit it and. He just continues to be an important figure in the game. Yeah, it's uh, I, I use those two figures both at the, the top of my head because they're kind of the sensations of 2021 baseball. But also both of them kind of have that unique quality when you watch one of their starts where it's almost like going into it, you get a sense of can he keep this going like it's been unprecedented and historic to this point like this has to end, you know. Guys go into slumps in baseball, and yet every time they go out, they manage to top themselves. And you get the sense that looking at Fernando's, especially the beginning of his season in 1981, it was that exact feeling over and over. He can't throw another shutout, can he? And sure enough, there it is. Unbelievable. I'm one about Vladimir Guerrero Sr., not junior, who's kind of taken the world by, you know, by storm lately. But senior was like that also. You know, you could, every time Vladdy was up to bat, um, you had to watch it. He was going to hit one that bounced off the ground. He was going to uh, hit one to the moon. He's going to hit a line shot or he's going to stick out and his bat's going to fly over a stadium and he's, and he's going to come out of his shoes. Line of uh, Vladdy phenomenon can't miss, but the Fernando was definitely must see TV. You know, it was just a unique time for baseball. It was a unique time in the country. And I guess really the most important thing, the one thing that really sticks out, he was he was just really, really good. I mean, it wasn't a fluke. It wasn't like, a, you know, luck. It wasn't like just a few things fell into place. He was dominating. You know, he, he was he, – he is – he was Shohei. Every time this guy, you know, stepped on the mound, and this is his character, um, you know, his demeanor out there, even his physical appearance. Um, you know, you just had to watch. I mean, it, like I said, it was just a real pleasure to write about it. To this day, every time a Fernando documentary comes on, I watch it. I hear him on the radio covering, you know, doing Dodgers games. I listen to it. Uh, my history with him goes way back, you know, to the '80s, just like. Tons of other Mexican-Americans and Latinos in this country, you know, you knew about Fernando. I grew up in Texas. Um, I grew up a Texas Rangers fan. But even then, we all knew who Fernando was, you know, because he represented uh, Mexicans. He represented uh, Mexican-American fans were in the, you know, in the crowd. Um, he just was just a great symbol for a lot of people. So everybody knew who he was. Um, again, he was a, one of those figures that was bigger than baseball. And then I, I followed his career as a fan, you know, just like every other baseball-loving kid, you know. Um, so what Fernando was doing, obviously, I was a little bit younger when in 1981. I was probably like eight or nine years old. But, you know, he pitched through the 90s during my baseball card collecting days and uh, all of that stuff when I really became a fan during the 80s. And, you know, I really paid attention to what was happening with him and, you know, other players. But my first personal kind of interaction i think it was either the 2004 or 2005 uh futures game he was the manager for the international team huh. it was in it was in houston so that was the first time 
I really got to interact with him. I mean, I, I covered the, uh, the world team. He was the manager. It was just so cool. It was, I mean, it was surreal. I mean, there were some surreal moments in my career um, growing up and meeting some people that I covered. Um, some of the names that come to mind. So, I, like I said, I grew up in Texas. So, I grew up a Texas Rangers fan. So, the people that I covered who I grew up rooting for, that was unreal. It was surreal, really. Like, interviewing Yvonne Pudge Rodriguez for the first time. You know, that was like, oh, my gosh. I had your starting lineup action figure. You know, I had your poster. <laughs> you know, I, I had all that stuff. You know, Rafael Palmero, uh, another guy, Julio Franco. He's another, you know, all those Rangers. You think about all those Latinos, all those great Rangers players. Um, those Juan Gonzalez of the world where these were guys that I grew up in the eighties, you know, late eighties rooting for. And then a decade later I covered, and I had that similar sensation when I met Fernando at that future in the futures dugout and the world dugout at the, uh, all-star game. And it was just like, okay, I need to be a pro here. I'm a <laughs> professional. I'm a professional. That's, that's Fernando. He doesn't know I'm, I'm freaking out on the inside, but, uh, but that's the guy, you know, that's the one we all talk about. That's him, you know? And then, uh, you know, you got to know him a little bit. Uh, then I moved to Phoenix. So I'd see him come in with the Dodgers, you know, the broadcast thing. And, uh, one thing on a personal side, uh, getting to know Fernando is really interesting because he is very quiet. You know, he doesn't really talk a lot about himself. He's a really humble guy. And that's one of the reasons I think people were so eager to talk about him in that story. You know, I talked to historians. I talked to be, I talked to George Lopez, the comedian. I talked to Jaime Harin, all these figures. And I could have talked to several more figures because they wanted to talk about him because they know, uh, they know Fernando does not talk about himself. And they knew it was such a big deal, the 40th anniversary. Um, they wanted to speak for him and it was just really cool. And it's, you know, hearing people talk about it and, and me firsthand, I experienced uh, how, what it's like to be around him. Cause he has this dry sense of humor, mm. you know, he'll, he might call the wrong, wrong name hmm. or he'll say, here he is. Oh, I could give me like three or four different names and, you know, or just mess around and uh, just fun. But you know, uh, it's, it's got my uncle just messing with you. Talk to around that story and the people that I know around Fernando. Once he starts giving you that hard time, he likes you. So I was like, okay, I'm in with Fernando. That, that's really cool. Like, like, yeah, you kind of take that step with him where you're approaching it and you're trying to kind of keep your inner fanboy from coming out. And as you say, do your job. And then at a certain point, he kind of gives you that recognition of, okay, yeah, you're I'm letting you inside past past the first gate almost like that that that's a really cool thing and it, it kind of reminds me that uh, just outside of camera range here I've got a shelf full of Ryan Sandberg and Andre Dawson and Greg Maddox and Sean Dunstan starting lineup figures so I'm completely with you as a child of the late 80s early 90s there and it, I, I played in my head many times like if I ever got the opportunity to talk to Ryan Sandberg I would go full on do you remember the old Chris Farley show sketch from Saturday Night Live where he would have on like a Paul McCartney yes. here. Yeah. And all the questions would be, remember that time you were in the Beatles? Yeah. Wasn't that great? Like, like yeah. Yeah. I, I would have to repress that inner Chris Farley in me of like, remember that time you hit those two home runs off Bruce Suter? That was awesome, man. So I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. Um, uh, 
And it's interesting to me, too, that you mentioned that in talking to guys like George Lopez and Jaime Harin, what I hear about that is that it's almost like a community has arisen to kind of keep the Fernando story going and to pass it on, which is appropriate given the fact that he kind of represented an entire community for those years where he was starring on the major league level. Right. I mean, if you go to Dodger Stadium now, you walk out on the concourse, you're going to see everybody wearing, you're going to see the Cody Bellinger jerseys. You're going to see the Mookie. You're going to see the Justin Turners and, you know, the Kershaw's, but you're going to see just as many Fernando jerseys, you know, and that's fans. That's children and grandchildren of his fans. You know what I'm talking about? People that never, that have only seen him play in video or, or most recently now in video games. I think he's at MLB the show was what my son told me. So we're trying to get Fernando on MLB. His legacy, what he means, his impact is still alive and well in Los Angeles. It's not just baseball. You know, like I said, he's a person that represented so much to so many people, especially in that 80s um, with Ronald Reagan. There was talk, you know, immigration uh, talks. In in some ways, there's some parallels of what's kind of happening in most recent times. But what was really happening back in the 80s, um, there was the Mexican anti-Mexican sentiment. There was some, you know, some division between the Mexican Americans and and people born in Mexico that sometimes happens. Um, so there was just a lot happening. Um, you can even look back to what happened with Chavez Ravine and the Dodgers a little bit. You know, there there was kind of a rift between the community and, and the Dodgers there that has since been you know healed for the most part. Um, and he. He just came along out of nowhere. He basically just came out of the sky. This guy from Mexico, you know, 19, 20-year-old kid, and starts just dealing. And he has this crazy pitch, the screwball. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, what is this pitch? Who, who even throws a screwball anymore? You know, so he's, he's dominating. You know, he, he looks like us. You know, he looks like uh, he looks like your uncle, you know, with the, the glasses and the body. And, <laughs> but he's super athletic. He's funny. You know, one of the things that, uh, you know, people kept talking about uh, him in the clubhouse, just how funny and hilarious he was. Hmm. You know, he was just a, a kind of a clown uh, in, a, in a fun way. You know, obviously, uh, baseball has this hierarchy and you know, he was one of the younger guys. But, you know, he held his own and, and he had a good time and he enjoyed it. And you got also got to keep in mind during that time, he wasn't speaking English. I mean, he speaks English now. But he had a translator. So imagine coming from an entire another country, coming to the U.S., having all this success at 20, you know, 21 years old and, and in a different language, traveling all across the country and then becoming a global phenomenon. I mean, that's a lot to take on. You know, and I think looking back, you really have to respect and admire the way he handled all that, because we're not talking about Fernando controversies. We're not talking about Fernando lashing out. All we're talking about is the greatness of Fernando, how everybody loves Fernando, how people can't wait to the opportunity to talk about him. I mean, he just imagine if you, if that was you at 20 and if you were under those same circumstances, could we handle it that way? And, and I don't know if we could. I know I couldn't. I mean, I was so immature. You know, I don't think I could handle anything when I was 30 years old, you know, but, <laughs> you know, but. But this guy was such a phenomenon. It was just so cool to, to revisit it. So cool to talk about him. And, you know, I'm just happy he even asked because, uh, like I said, he's such a he's an important figure for baseball. 
for Latinos, for Mexicans, for Mexican-Americans. He's just an inspiration. And, you know, as we as I wrote in the story, as we wrote in the story, he just inspired a, a, a generation of fans. And those fans inspired their children and their grandchildren. And his impact is truly bigger than baseball. You know, he really helped bring Latinos and Mexicans and everybody to Dodger Stadium. Um, it helped kind of open up the international market a little bit as far as at least Mexico is concerned. Um, I don't know. I just can't say enough good things about Fernando just because I respect what he did. You know, you look at his numbers, those first few years, he had great numbers um, over the career. You know, you know, I think you can kind of dissect you can criticize what happened here, what happened there, but you can't really blame him for the number of innings he pitched every year. Um, the workhorse he was, all the consecutive starts he made. I mean, if you think if you just judge him statistically speaking, you're selling yourself short on who Fernando is and the impact he had on the game. Yeah, it's, again, and you have the sense in talking and, and, and just from the tone of your voice, what it means in terms of an entire culture that he uplifted. And keep in mind, too, that he became a star in 1981, and that's not that far removed from an era where the media had no idea how to deal with any players of Latinx descent. That's, it's only less than two decades from when they insisted on calling Roberto Clemente Bob Clemente and in printing most of his answers to them in this pigeon phonetic English that made him look like a second-class citizen. So there, there was no real manual for Fernando in terms of how to handle that. And it's, it's kind of miraculous that he didn't have to encounter any any kind of pushback to that extent you know yeah and i think this says a lot about his character you know that says about a lot about who he is um the workhorse the guy who can roll with the punches the guy who took the ball every day the person who didn't make excuses you know i think sometimes um you know people you're dealt a certain set of circumstances or a certain set of you know the in the way the the life deals you a certain way and and there's some people can handle it and some people choose a different way of handling it. And I think Fernando handled it with grace as far as, as all that we know. I mean, he was definitely put in a, I wouldn't say impossible, because I think he would look back at that entire time as a blessing. But I can see if I was in that shoes, I would be so anxious and nervous. Yeah. And half of my friends, I'd be freaking out. Like, how are you going to do this? But, you know, I just think this speaks to who he was. He was like the right person at the right time to handle all this. And, um, Again, special on the mound, but, you know, that, that character thing and, and how he handled it and what he was made of and the humility and, you know, the, the, the values that are passed down from his family and, you know, his culture and all that really helped maintain, you know, that Fernando, Fernando during that time. And it's really part of the reason or it's really I think it's one of the main reasons we're still talking about him today because we can talk about 1981. We can talk about going eight and zero. We can yeah. talk about Fernando Mania, but what we're really talking about is the legacy of a sportsman who transcended sports. Yeah. And, and, and that's the, more, more than sports. Yes, absolutely. And, and just to kind of give a quick stat rundown of, as, as you mentioned, those, those seven complete games and eight straight wins to start off 1981, five shutouts in there. And within those eight straight wins, a 0 0.50 ERA. And as a cop, Jacob deGrom's ERA right now is 0.53. So that's the kind of company he was keeping in that first year, and in, especially in the first part of that first year. 
And in your description of the screwball, uh, the thought that popped into my mind is that it's almost like he's an inflection point in 1981, where he's coming up with this incredible old school pitch, this famous Christy Matthewson fadeaway from the 1900s and Carl Hubble from the 1930s, but also at a time where he's announcing baseball's multicultural future. This is going to be the face going forward. It's not just going to be a sport for old white men. It's going to be for everybody. And that's, I think, the most exciting part of this story is that it's taking the past and kind of pushing it into the future like that. You know, that's exactly right. And I love that you brought up that point because I, I think that's where the sport needed to go. I think that's where sports still need to go. I think where society needs to go, right? I mean, so let's, let's give everybody an opportunity to excel no matter where you're from, no matter what you look like, no matter your background, no matter anything, let's give you a chance. Let's put you on the stage and show and give you the opportunity to show what you can do. And Fernando did that. You know, he had the opportunity. He took advantage of it. And he's still calling games at Dodger stadiums right now. You know, he, he's at the ballpark every, you know, he's, he's calling games. I'm not sure if the Dodgers or uh, Spanish broadcast is traveling. But he has never gone away from baseball. And he's, he's a baseball lifer. He's, his impact is just so incredible. Um, he's just going to be one of these figures. And for me personally, for different communities, he's going to mean so much. But I think you can just look objectively at the impact he had on growing the game, the impact he had on um, making people, or, or, or not forcing them, but opening people's minds to different aspects of different types of players, of different communities, of different cultures coming in and can contribute. And I don't know, I'm, I'm a huge Fernando fan. Like I said, I still have that starting lineup figure somewhere. I got to find it. But uh, yeah, he, he's just an incredible guy. Did you growing up, uh, did you ever try to imitate him growing up? Like uh, looking up at the sky in that delivery? Because that's what I remember the most about watching Fernando on TV was that moment in his delivery where he would break concentration with the hitter, look directly up at the heavens, and then come back with the screwball and strike him out? You know, I don't think I'll, I'll, I tried to copy that uh, that crazy windup. He was a lefty, I'm a righty, um, and it just seems impossible to do. Yeah. It was just like, it just seems impossible to do to kick your leg that high, look straight up, have your hands there do this kind of weird wind up in this crazy screwball pitch, you know, until I was much older and my, an adult and really a sports writer, did I really recognize what a screwball is? It's kind of yeah. like a reverse curve a little bit. It has, it's like a changeup. It's kind of a precursor to these advanced changeups these guys throw now. Mm -hmm. I just thought it was as a kid, you just think it's just some crazy pitch. You know, it's like a cartoon pitch from Bugs Bunny. You know, when you think of screwball, you think of that, you know, that cartoon where he's throwing the ball and, you know, you, Bugs Bunny or whoever it was is swinging himself into the ground. That's the screwball. And that's what he made these batters look like. So, you know, I didn't imitate that, but you know, he was just a guy, you know, he's a guy we all knew and you know, a guy we, everyone just admired. Yeah. Even the name screwball sounds like it should be coming from the 1940s and uttered by like an Edward G Robinson or a Humphrey Bogart as some insult for somebody. So yeah, it's it, right. it, like, and we, we don't hear about it now because as we pretty much concluded, it's a pitch that destroys your arm. Uh, and I, I kind of wondered, did, does Fernando in talking about kind of the meteoric nature of his career, did he ever have a sense that he was on borrowed time because of what the screwball does to your arm, that he had to kind of get his greatness in quickly 
before things went bad? You know, I don't think so. I don't think he approached that way. Hmm. I think he had a very workmanlike perspective. Um, yes, I think ultimately, you know, you, long term, you think about your career, you think about your duration. But I think when you're doing it, you're just kind of you're thinking about getting the outs. You're not you know, you're thinking about um, trying to pitch as long as you can. You remember, that was a time where Lasorda and, and all these different you know, managers and, and the philosophies were you run a pitcher out there and he'll throw as many pitches as you as you can squeeze out of him. And you, you can squeeze as many 250 innings out of a pitcher is not a big deal, you know, so you really had no choice. You didn't have a chance to think about tomorrow because mm. you had to pitch today. You know, it wasn't, you know, I think, you know, the game has evolved where it's really specialized with relievers and, you know, now we have openers, you know, it, it's just definitely evolved and it, it continues to change with information and technology and all that. But back in those days, I don't think Fernando was thinking, Hey, Hey, I need to do as much as I can because uh, I'm going to have a short career. I think he was thinking I need to pitch as long as I can because I love pitching and I want to win, hmm. you know, and then the other stuff, happened you know there were some you know arm injuries with that's what what happens with screwball pitchers a lot of the time you know uh but i think he was just out there to perform as long as he can as hard as he could for you know his career and and i think that's how he approached it i think that's why people respect respected him then i think that's why people respect him now you know because he was a workhorse he didn't make excuses You, you put him out there uh, he wanted to stay out as long as he could. You know, he'll he'll make excuses to not come out of the game. Um, and I think if you're really concerned about pitch counts, innings, and and all that, you really can't have that attitude. I mean, did it backfire? I don't know. I mean, you would ask. There were some people who would say maybe Fernando would have pitched less, you know, fewer pitches. Maybe he would have pitched fewer innings. But I think if you do that, I mean, first it's just recreating history, which is just dangerous and crazy. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, he wouldn't be who he is. You know, part of it is like he was such a workhorse. So you can count on him. And in that way, he represented a lot of people. We go to work every day. We're doing the best we can. And you know what? Some days we're going to lose, but a lot of times we're going to win. And sometimes winning means, you know, finishing a hard day's work and coming home to your family and getting a good, good night's sleep. Or, you know, doing the best you can. So in that way, he was like the every man's pitcher because he was doing his job the best he could every day. Yeah. And he's thought of mostly, of course, for that 1981 incredible rookie of the year Cy Young season. But in looking up his baseball reference numbers, he was definitely more than just the one year. He was he was not a Mark Fidrich by any means. He had five war seasons in 1982, 85 and 86. Cy Young runner up again in 1986. So he had a good and fairly lengthy career as a, a top-notch ace pitcher. And it also it culminated in, I believe, a, ho- a no-hitter in 1990, right before he left the Dodgers. Um, and so you mentioned kind of toward the end of your piece there, the discussion about a possible Hall of Fame case. Do you believe that he would have a Hall of Fame case? You know, I think the way things are structured now, probably not. You know, it's really statistical based. There's really um, a cutoff between who qualifies, who is, who isn't. I mean, it's kind of, in some ways it's really cut and dried. I mean, and, and, and I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing. I mean, we definitely have, there's a level of statistical analysis 
There's all kinds of measurements. There's a true, there's a way to really evaluate uh, player versus player. Obviously era versus era will be different, but the way we are now, there's really no room for sentimentality, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm, I'm not sure that's the best. I'm not sure that's the best approach because there are players. And I would say someone like uh, Fernand Valenzuela, who his contributions to the game were larger than what the statistics said. And even if you judge him on those statistics, he was close. He still had five or six years where he was really dominant and where he really had a good run. But I think that uh, I can't verify this 100%, but I think kind of the separator is when pitchers are able to do that for seven years or more. I think where Fernando was kind of closer to five or six, but then you factor in, you know, his contributions as far as growing the game, as far as bringing in a fan base, as far as uh, internationalizing the sport. I mean, how do you measure that? That's why people are so passionate about saying Fernando is, is a Hall of Famer or is not a Hall of Famer. I mean, okay, I mean, I can say Fernando is a Hall of Fame uh, pitcher. His contributions to the game, I deem, are worthy. Does that qualify him for Cooperstown? I think that's two different conversations, right? You can be a Hall of Fame contributor without being in Cooperstown. And I think to getting to Cooperstown, it's just, uh, it's really difficult. And there's just, you know, all these different measurements and there's voting and there's just a lot that goes into it, but it just, it almost feels like an, I can see when people who support Fernando feel insulted when you say he's not a hall of famer, mm-hmm. like he's not a hall of famer. Then what's a hall of famer. He changed the game. He, yeah. you know, how can you say he's not a hall of famer? Yeah. Someone who evokes that kind of emotion. And even in the past half hour of our discussion, as I mentioned before, you hear it over and over again in your voice. So I completely understand why you would have that response. And I'm in agreement with you that in terms of numbers wise, yeah, he definitely is short of the Cooperstown standard, but you can't write baseball history without him. And regardless of whether or not he gets a plaque, that's going to be true for the rest of time, as long as baseball is a popular sport in this country. And that's obviously not nothing. And I would also say that uh, the Hall of Fame about a decade or so ago uh, instituted a new achievement called the Buck O'Neill Award which kind of functions as like a baseball career achievement honor that they give once every three or four years. It's going to people like Buck O'Neill, Rachel Robinson, Roland Heeman, essentially people who have just been in the game forever, done a number of incredible things that don't have quite that Hall of Fame resume that the writers or the voters decree. And I would say given everything we've talked about for this past half hour, where in terms of national sensation, representative of an entire country and a culture at a time where such a thing was hard to find. And someone who's, as you say, now been an ambassador of the game for 40 years and is now uh, still broadcasting for what, 15, 20 years at this point, I would say Fernando definitely qualifies for an award like that. Right. I agree. I agree. And the book O'Neill, I'm not sure what the official title. I mean, I had the pleasure of meeting Mr. O'Neill a long long time ago in, in Texas, uh, he would come down sometimes. And uh, I just remember him talking to Alex Rodriguez mm. a long time ago. You could just see them in the dugout talking. And, you know, Mr. O'Neill was such a great person and a great ambassador for the game. And you're right. I mean, I agree. Uh, Fernando and his contributions to the game kind of line up with someone who received that type of recognition. Um, I don't think if Fernando received that award, anybody's going to say, oh, no, he didn't deserve that. You know, I, I can see people saying, OK, well, great. We found a way to get him in there because this guy 
had a huge impact on the game, um, changed the game, um, continues to make the contribution. And, and he's going to continue. And he's like one of these Dodgers who he um, seems like they have a contract for life. Hmm. Uh, I remember talking to Jaime Harin, the Spanish broadcaster, and he's like, well, basically um, the Dodgers say I can work here till I don't want to anymore. <laughs> you know, and that? I think, you know, yeah, so that's a pretty good, that's good for job security. Right. Uh, yeah. So uh, I was like, well, thanks Jaime. Uh, it's good to know, you know, and, <laughs> and then uh, I think, you know, I think uh, Vince Scully also had something like that. And I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, you know, there are other figures with the Dodgers who have similar, you know, unspoken contracts. I mean, I can imagine Clayton Kershaw having something like that in the future, you know, but uh, Fernando is one of those figures. When you think of the Dodgers, you think of him, you know, he is just one of those important figures in, in franchise history, in the game's history. And uh, like you said, I, I think that's a great point with a book O'Neill award or any award that, that recognizes the overall contributions to the game. I mean, there are players like, um, uh, I mean, um, Jackie's obviously in, but there was Hideo Nomo. There, there's a lot of people who made great contributions to the game, and and their their contributions should be recognized. Um, Chan Ho Park. I mean, all the international uh, players um, who who who've made this game so great. And yeah. Fernando, he should be, you know, he should be on that list of people who should be considered because. Uh, you know, stats are great. We love stats. We operate in stats. We, you know, it's, it's part of our bread and butter, but baseball as with humanity is more than just that. Yeah. It's uh, and honestly, I hope it happens to, if for no other reason, then watching that hall of fame induction ceremony is going to be a thing to see the turnout that Fernando would get and to see the enthusiasm that he would get like that would be, yeah, that, that would be what the Hall of Fame is all about right there, I think. So, yeah. Uh, Jesse, before we go, anything else you'd like to plug while I still have you here? Um, no, you know, I think we're, we're doing a lot of stuff at MLB.com. Great work. I mean, if you check out all of our, our website, our 30 team sites, you know, we're uh, doing a great job covering each club. Obviously, we have national reporters writing about everything. Our, one of the things we're really focusing on this year, we've always done, and we continue to improve on is our uh, prospect coverage, whether that's domestic coverage of internet uh, or uh, international prospect coverage. As we know, I think one thing fans are really starting to appreciate is being able to follow young players when they sign at 18 or with their international sign at 16. So you can track guys if they sign, you know, young men as they sign at 16, you can track them all the way through the minors. You can track them all the way through the big leagues. Uh, um, you know, we, we, we got every aspect covered. And, you know, personally, I, I feel like I just want to talk about what we do as a whole. Because, uh, uh, you know, the, the personal thing, like this Fernando thing, it was a labor of love. And, and I'll always talk about that. And, and it's something that makes me happy. It's one of those things I'll be able to look back on my career and, and be proud of that. And, and share that with my children and share that with my grandchildren. Like, this was an important figure for baseball. This was an important figure for society. This was an important figure for your grandfather and for me. And this, it was a real honor to share his story. And uh, these are the things I really love to tell. I love to tell these Latino stories. I love to tell these stories of humanity. I love to tell stories that are bigger than baseball. And I think in addition to, you know, our daily coverage at MLB.com, we have everything covered, you know, inside the lines, outside the lines, minor leagues prospects, international side, you know, I'm just really happy to be there and to, you know, 
I encourage you and you know all your listeners to you know go check it out. Awesome. And in doing so, and in writing a story like this, you're playing a role in kind of keeping Fernando's story alive for the next generation and explaining to them why he was such a transcendent and important figure in baseball history. And, you know, that's kind of why we got into this writing about games business to begin with, right? Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, it's an honor. I mean, it, at heart, we're still the same kids who are collecting baseball cards and those starting lineup figures. And we had, you know, all that stuff that we have as fans. You know, as we evolve and, you know, we grow, we just learn to appreciate it in a different way. But at heart, it's a kid's game. And we're still kids at heart. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, writing about baseball, being a part of baseball, shoot, just even going to a baseball game, um, it's still special. And it's always going to be special. And I feel really fortunate that uh, this is what I get to do. And I feel really fortunate that I was able to be here and talk to you about it. Yeah, it's been my pleasure, Dusty. Thank you for being on. I can thank you so much. Have a good one. You as well.